Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. This week on TWIP, Getty and Flickr sit in a tree, the 5D Mark II flies over BP's oil mess, and Lexar Media's Jeff Cable joins us to talk storage. All that and more on episode number 154 of This Week in Photography. And we are back for another episode of This Week in Photography. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, uh, some something new for you guys. Um, we've got, first of all, let me introduce the, uh, the, the co-hosts on the show. In the studio here is Mr. Alex Lindsay. Hey, Alex. I'm new. You're not new, but you're in the studio. I'm just saying that you're here. I'm and I'm okay. not saying you're new on the show. I'm saying there's something new on the show. I see how it is. <laughs> I see how it is. You let you let him host a couple days, a couple weeks in a row, and before you know it, like we're so surprised that you showed up. Who are you? You are very sensitive. You're very sensitive, aren't you? Hey, I just saw a conversation point and I took it. All right. Also coming to us uh, from far, far away on the East Coast is Mr. Rick Salmon. Hey, Rick. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. You look very colorful today in your tie-dyed shirt. Well, you know, I'm celebrating. Uh... Woodstock. <laughs> no, you're celebrating HDR Day, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Cool, cool. All right, and also coming to us um, for the second time is Mr. Ray Maxwell. Hey, Ray, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Frederick? And I'm doing all the rest of the crew here. We're, I'm doing wonderful, and I assume everybody's doing wonderful. All right, uh, yeah, we have we got a ton of stuff to to chat about, but before we do any of that stuff, I want to give a nod to our sponsor. Alex, who's our sponsor? Our sponsor is uh, audible.com. So, of course, Audible is the leading provider of audiobooks of more than 75,000 titles across all types of literature, uh, including uh, audio versions of uh, New York Times bestsellers. And, And one of the things, of course, is you can get a free book. If you haven't done this already, go up to audible.com slash twip, mm-hmm. and you can get a free book. Uh, you can give this a shot. As you, as many people know, I kind of consider like the, the text thing mm-hmm. to be kind of so last century. You know, the, the idea is if you want to, oh, especially. You're going to get flame for that one. No, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. It's over. It's over. That's text, all I'm saying. Libraries, all that stuff. You know, it's gone. Oh, no, absolutely. When I look at, I, I was walking through a, a, a library in Africa, actually. It was, yeah. and, and it was, uh, it was a really nice school. It's the American school in Zambia. And look at all these books. And I was like, wow, this is probably the last generation that'll see this. Yeah. You know, because it, it, it really is, it's over. You I, know, and, I don't think it's over. I think they're just going to retool. Well, they're going to retool. But the thing is, is that I think that there is, but there is this point where we talk about like interactive, you know, for me, fiction is like, that's what you go to movies for. Mm-hmm. And then reference is kind of something you still want text and you want those things, but that's going to become very interactive. That's what mm-hmm. our iPad's going to be good for. But there's this whole world of, of stuff where it's a linear conversation. It is, mm-hmm. It's a long book about something, about history, about uh, a thought process, about philosophy, whatever that is. I mean, all the things that Audible carries. And that's the kind of thing you want to do while you're cleaning the house, while you're driving, while you're walking to work, while you're sitting waiting for your plane, while you're in your plane. Those are all the times you can fill up and be gathering that information. And Audible is the place. 
yeah, it is the, for that brain downtime. Yeah, that brain downtime when you want to yeah. you want to just keep on bringing in some new knowledge, uh, some entertainment, so on and so forth. It is the thing to do, you know, in in that background. And it so, is. or so, a podcast. Or podcasts. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. But there's just, you know, and podcasts are good, but a lot of times, you know, we want to get these kind of, uh, these kind of books. And, and so it's just, uh, it's perfect. So, um, you know, so, you know, I, you know, I listen to, pot, you know, audible books every week. So do I. Uh, I'm a little addicted to them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I, and, and that's just how I fill up that other time. It's all that, all that information I never used to get to. I used to buy books mm-hmm. and then I go, oh, I'm going to read this. And now if I don't see it on audible, I'm like, yeah, I'll just wait. I'll I'm wait. I'm way. waiting them out. I'm the same way because you can, you, like you said, like you're saying, you can fill up that downtime with listening to these books. And what I right. found, I have a new technique mm-hmm. that I have to share. So um, I'm like you, Alex. I'm a fan of, of just sort of listening while I do, you know, while I'm doing anything, you know, <laughs> doing yard work or whatever. But if I have time to focus, I want both. I mean, I want to, I want to listen. And then I want to read while I'm, so it's almost like, remember your mom used to, li- used yeah, to read to you? <laughs> my head would blow up. <laughs> <laughs> you, listen, you read along with See, I just the audio. Wanna, I, my whole thing is I don't want to. I don't want to be a unitasker. That's all I'm saying is I don't want to be a unitasker. You know, there's, so, so. there's no such thing as multitasking. You can only do one thing at a time. I can. No do, matter how fast you can do multiple things, you can only do one well, thing at a time. I have become extremely good at cleaning my house and listening to a book at the same time. Now I can't sort and listen to a book, but, but I you can, miss entire paragraphs. You I miss entire miss chapters. chapters. When I'm washing the dishes, <laughs> when I'm washing it. the dishes, I'm very capable of listening to a like book. Even if I'm listening to a book. Um, uh, and I'm trying to do something else, like working on a website or something. Oh, you, know? you can't do that. No, no, no. I'm like, I can hear it. No. And then no, the I'm thing like, is, here's your problem. I have to go back. Here's your problem. Is you're matching upper brain with upper brain. The key is to match upper brain with lower brain. So lower brain is like, you know, cleaning My lower surfaces. brain is thinking about all kinds of different stuff. No, no, no. <laughs> like my lower brain. No. <laughs> this is an all ages show. Thank you very much. But the lower brain, the lower brain is like cleaning surfaces and putting stuff away and doing all that other stuff. And that's something that lower brain can kind of handle for me. Yeah. That's something I can handle without, without the upper brain's involvement. You know, you know, it just, yeah. it's just kind of sorting stuff out. And while I'm doing that, you know, you can always tell when I'm into a good audible book because my house is like sparkling. Because if I sit there and read a book, I just feel like I am – if I'm reading the book and there's nothing else that I can do, yeah. I just – the thing that – the little thing that keeps me distracted from the book is this little uh, voice in the back of my head that says, you are wasting time. Yeah. You are wasting time. You know, you know and, so, and so for me, by stacking it on something that you know, I want to read that book, but I also you know, want to do the thing that I don't do very often, which is clean. Yeah. So, so if I listen to you – know, using Audible is a good way to keep my house clean. So what do you, what do you there, there's, the new, there's the new ad campaign. Keep your house clean with listen Audible. Audible. What, so are you, what are you it, listening to right now? Um, I am – you know, I've been listening to – Do you want to know what I'm listening to? I don't want to admit what I'm listening to. Uh-oh. Because I, I, the worst part is you used to ask me, and this week is the first week that I've gone back to listening to a couple chapters of The Spartans. Again? <laughs> Well, I hadn't listened to it for a year and a half, and I felt like, and, and you got to understand that Scott makes a lot of fun of me because I listen yeah. to the Spartans. It's very interesting. I was like, oh, I was thinking about something around it, and I was listening to it again. Well, see, I'm a, I'm a nonfiction kind of guy. That's all I listen to is nonfiction. <clears throat> um, there's this, this new book that just came out by um, the CEO of a small company called Zappos. Have you heard of them? I am such a big, I just bought two pairs of, of shoes on Zappos this weekend. Really? Black and, and, and brown. Um, and here's the worst part. <laughs> so I went into they a store fit. and I tried them on. No, no, they always fit. And you don't ever worry about it because with Zappos, you can send it right back. Yeah. So the thing is, is that but I, but I, I tried them on at the store, but they didn't have the color that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so I, I figured out which one would fit. Took a picture of it. 
No, no I just take picture. I just took. I just wrote down. Oh, it's the Heisman of. Da, 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 da. Oh yeah. And then I went home and I went to Zappos. And I was like, okay, I have that one. Very that one. cool. Anyway, so well, so the CEO Tony Shea of Zappos dot com, who was recently sold, the company was recently sold to Amazon for over a billion dollars. Cha ching. Cha ching. Yeah. Um. He's also the founder of a company called Link Exchange. You may remember that from back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sold that to Microsoft for. A lot of money. So he's doing. He's got this thing figured out. Well, I, you know, I don't think uh, you should listen to the book because it, it's not like that's his shtick of you know, building these great companies and then selling them. He's actually trying to be an entrepreneur and following his passion, and that's what right. the book is about. It's really good. Um, it's called Delivering Happiness, and I've listened to it once completely, and I'm listening to it a second time already. So I would definitely highly recommend checking that book out. It is. Awesome. And Very it's on good. Audible, I believe. So you can go to audible.com slash twip mm-hmm. and uh, and check it out. And you can get it for free if you haven't done it already. So All right. what do we got? What do we got coming up here? All right, let's talk about something that we I think we I believe we talked about this on the show before, and it was about Getty Images and Flickr and the fact that they were I think they were doing a test earlier to allow photographers or they were selectively tapping photographers to see if they could license their images. Um, now they've basically opened it up to allow you to be proactive about it and say, hey, here's a great image that I shot, and I would like to submit this for inclusion into the Getty Library and perhaps get some coin for it. So uh, did you read the article? Yeah, it, it looks really interesting. I mean, it, it's a, the, the key is, I mean, I think it's good for everybody all the way around. If, if you decide you want to make that available and you decide you want to, you know, possibly, because Getty is the place to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, Getty's the way to figure that out. And for Getty, it's huge. I mean, it's, it's this kind of, I, I, I have to admit, Getty is like the Google of, of images at this point or the Apple of iPhones because it's just, they've, they've figured out how to take, to attack this industry of stock photography from pretty much every angle. Yeah. If you want a high-end, uh, I want to own and license that, Getty has that. If you want iStock Photo, and I don't know if everyone knows that iStock Photo was owned by Getty. Yeah. It was, you know, yeah. was purchased by Getty. Yeah. It was purchased by Getty, yeah. which, is, which I think is, is uh, profoundly interesting and very forward-thinking by mm-hmm. Getty, knowing that this is going to eat up their market to some degree. Uh, or self-preservatory. <laughs> but it was just great is to take advantage of that and, yeah. and, and go down that path to make sure they're basically just playing both options. Because you know? yeah. and, and, we buy a lot of stuff from iStock. Um, but I know that if we were a larger company, we'd want something that's more exclusive. Rick Salmon. Um, so these these companies like like of course Getty and then I always got Flickr and they're sort of merging the worlds of crowdsourced photography with high end with the middle ground and the the micro stock as they call it for the uh, for like iStock folks. Where where do you fall on that? I mean, if you I know you're you're the highfalutin photographer that you know you don't even click the shutter if if a million dollars is not involved. But <laughs> not true. <laughs> But but do you think there's room for the Flickr audience to be jumping into Getty or is it just going to dilute the, uh, you know, all the the cries of, oh, iStock is diluting all this stock business and it's killing it. Now, is this another nail in the coffin for stock photography? Well, I think, uh, you know, I have a friend, Daryl Galeen, who sold a picture of a bald eagle about five years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, for like $12,000, right? That's before all these, like, micro-stock agencies uh, came up. Now you could go on, on, you know, iStock Photo and probably buy that same picture, that same type of picture, for $5, right? I mean, I, I do workshops. People come on my workshops, go on Daryl's workshops, go on Pro's workshops. They get the same pictures we get. They put them up on... Uh, on, on iStock. I think the thing with Getty is, you know, they're going to get a percentage. Uh, what I've always uh, liked to do is I like to just sell directly. So I don't have an agent. 
you know, I don't really want to give someone a, a percentage. And I think with the social media outlets that we have today, you know, we can do that uh, if we could drive people to our site, which is the whole goal of, uh, of social media. So I, I don't know about giving uh, a Getty a percentage, but it is very, very important to know your rights. There's a cool website imagerights.com imagerights.com just click on there it really tell you about your rights as a photographer knowing your rights is really important and getting like a second opinion <laughs> you know is good too yeah uh, and, and another site, actually not a site, well, a site, my friend Jack Resnicki has a great book out co-written by uh, uh, Edward C. Greenberg. These guys teach a, a course at uh, Photoshop World on the legal side of photography. They have a great book called The Photographer's Survival Manual. The subtitle is, I'm reading it here, A Legal Guide for Artists in the Digital Age. So not only photographers, but artists. So knowing your rights, I think, is uh, is very, very important today. And know, knowing, you know, what rights you have. And, uh, you know, my friend Trey Radcliffe, we just, uh, we're working on a project right now, which we could talk about later. But on the site, I had, when I posted this picture, I said, copyright Trey Radcliffe. He said, I just put up there like common use. You can't use it for commercial purposes. So, you know, this whole thing is changing. And just one other quick thing on, on iStock about the diluting the market. I know a person who makes three to $4,000 a month posting pictures there, um, selling lifestyle photos, like, you know, mm -hmm. a picture of a road or a picture of a couple holding hands or something like that. So the, there's money to be made for sure. Yeah. Now, Ray, are you, have you ever dabbled in anything related to stock photography or, and do you intend on trying that stuff? Well, I, uh, I list my stuff on photo.net, but I uh, like Rick, uh, most of the sales, and I don't sell that many photographs, but most of my sales uh, have been direct. And uh, I've done some covers and things for various uh, annual reports and that sort of thing locally. And uh, I don't, I don't uh, submit my stuff to an agency. Okay. I actually had the first request for one of my photos from one of my blogs uh, uh, yeah. last week. Really? Yeah, for what? What, <laughs> what was it of? There's a picture. Let me go. Get, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to guess there's a picture of you doing your dishes or Fred cutting the lawn because I was listening to you guys. <laughs> you know, it's oddly enough, it wasn't. I was in, I was in, uh, there's a picture. Uh, if, if people go up to like, I think it's alexlindsay.vox.com or, Alex or whatever my name is on Vox. Mm -hmm. I was using Vox for a while and I put, posted it up. And there's a picture of my wife uh, in New Mexico uh, looking up like this. And my uncle, my uncle's kind of off in the distance. And we were at um, uh, one of Ted Turner's ranches. And there's this cave where about uh, five to seven million uh, bats come out at one t at like seven o'clock at night, and um, and there's, so there's just this huge sky of bats, and they're all looking at them. They're almost all around us, and you know it's just a photo that I took. You know, it was like to me, it was just like that's where I was when I took the picture, and uh, and I was surprised that someone you know wanted to put it in something. Now, I don't know. I don't even know what it was for. You're gonna I, see it on a billboard, and you yeah, realize exactly. that you only got paid a dollar fifty for it. I, you know, it was. I was just excited. I would have. I would have done it, except for the fact that I was in Africa and I didn't know where the high res version. They wanted the high res, and I didn't know where the high res version was from Africa. Yeah, you know, it wasn't online. So, uh, but I was just. I never even thought of selling stuff directly until that. Until that came. Until I got that ping. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but, you know, this brings up a good point. You might not, not have thought of selling that picture, right? But, you know, I tell people your pictures do you zero good, on, you know, buried on your hard drive. Yeah. Get them up there. Get them on Flickr. Get them on your site. Get them on, on Stumble, Stumble yeah. Upon. Get, get them up there. That's a really so, good yeah. point because people do. They're, they're, they're very protective about their stuff, and they're like, you know what? I don't yeah. want people to 
somebody may steal my photography. And Trey Ratcliffe, is right. a, he's a good proponent of, yeah. you know, l- l- let it be free. Let it let it get out there. He doesn't even watermark his images. He puts a high-res images up there, some beautiful stuff, and he's not worried about it. And it's, uh, you know, and, and you're right, Rick. You know, if it's if it's sitting on your hard drive gathering dust in a, in a folder yeah. somewhere and no one ever sees it, what was the point of taking it in the first place? But then on the other hand, you don't want to get taken advantage of i think that's what most people are afraid of they don't want yeah. somebody to take something that they shot and then you know they see it in a television commercial ad and that's making millions of dollars and they you know yeah. they're still trying to you know eat ramen noodles so you know there's, <laughs> there's a middle ground there right of uh, how you get compensated for your photography while well not but generally you know, if, if you're tight with it if your image is well marked or well you know um you know, there it's not your if there's real money to be made with that image someone is going to pay you for it because that right. you know ad you know it's it's it's, a, it's actually a very small amount of money for an ad agency if they're going they're going to spend the money to put it in a big tv ad or on a billboard the uh small amount they're going to pay you is is not that big of a deal yeah all right let's move along the next the next thing i want to chat about here is there's this crazy all-terrain vehicle. <laughs> I know you guys saw this in the show notes, but yep. there's yep. this all-terrain mobile workstation that's like one of those. I'm looking at the photo here, and it looks, and we'll put this in the show notes on on the website. But it it looks like one of those bomb robots that they send in to to disarm a bomb, and uh, but it's got cinema displays mounted on. Looks like I don't know uh, these. Arms, arms, Some, and it's got oh, those are the computer. gnarly, those gnarly arms. Yeah, the are, are, gnarly arms. It's got who makes those? <laughs> monitors in motion. Yeah, monitors in motion. Yeah. Monitors in motion makes yeah. those. Um, but it's 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 crazy. It looks like a little R two D two for photographers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. No, no Star Wars voices. Out. I just did a little R two D two. Don't do it. it don't do it. So, so you saw this, and you yep. want you want one, right, Alex? I don't really want this. What? It's just too much. It's too much trouble. I mean, I'm happy with my laptop. Yeah. You know, it's like I was kind of like, this is a lot How can of work. You not want this. <sighs> I, I just don't think I would actually use it. That's my whole thing. Is that it would be? It'd be a lot of like management. I need a truck for it. I would need it. Like I looked at it like like this is really cool for somebody, but for me, I'm quite happy viewing stuff on a laptop. It was like one of those things that was more fun to build than it is to use. Well, yeah. I mean, if, here's the thing: is if I was going to make something that looked like this, I would rather just put it inside of a Jeep. You know, yeah. or, you know, and drive mm-hmm. around with it in the back because then I have this closed environment. I have, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a video village that that sits inside. If I'm really going to make it all terrain, uh, I'd rather put it in the back of a, um, uh, yeah, in the back of a jeep. Yeah, well, that that was my opinion. Rick, did you see this thing? Are you going to get one? Well, it weighs 500 pounds, <laughs> you know, and I see it has these like uh, army tank treads on on the side of it. You know, uh, if, um, you know, Vincent LaFerrette, you know him, right? He's uh, yeah, like yeah. one of the pioneers in video, right? And uh, if I interviewed him recently, and one of his main tips is keep it simple. Don't put all this stuff on your video camera. <laughs> and th- this reminds me of this 500-pound army tank bomb sniffer thing with uh yeah. with the biggest monitors known to man yeah. uh yeah i like to keep it simple but you know what the monitors did remind me of the uh the little monitors that uh, fit on the top of your digital uh your slrs that shoot the hd video you know the, like the ones from marshall electronics they not only help you see but they help you focus yeah so i think an accessory like that is practical but i i really like to keep it simple however i think if sports illustrated hired and i see they've Pictures of uh, beautiful uh, swimsuit models uh, pasted uh, in the monitors here. 
Uh, I think if I was shooting the Sports Illustrated swimsuit uh, issue and I had like, you know, uh, a tremendous budget and had people to operate these while I was drinking pina coladas at sunset where this picture was taken. I don't know. I, might, I, don't know. I think, I think well, this thing is for photographers that may be compensating for something else. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you got to show up, with, especially if you're shooting models, right? You're like, hey, look at, look at all this stuff I got over there. You got to compensate for short lenses. It, yeah. There you go. Stubbies. I and like Alex's <laughs> idea. I like Alex's idea of putting a thing in the back of your something like this yeah. in the back of your Jeep. That's a good idea. You know, well, it says the DR8 will be available only available for leasing at the beginning of next year, and it'll be part of a digital capture package that includes cameras, digital technicians, and it'll cost you twenty four hundred dollars okay. a day. And there are plans to offer a year long lease of the DR8 for eleven thousand dollars. It's about. I mean, just so you know, I mean, for for that kind of thing, twenty four hundred dollars a day is about. Going right. I mean, there's nothing that I rent a lot of equipment. So this <laughs> so is this is basically you're in a studio. Then, you're in a big studio doing a model shoot, and all the gears there, and the technicians are in the back checking the shots and all that. Well, you're probably, you're that probably not getting mobile. that for twenty four hundred dollars. But a it's day. it's that idea. But you're mobile, right? So you're on the yeah, beach, and yeah. you've got your techs, and you. So that's it, right? Yeah. I mean, and and the thing is, is that it's it is one of those things. If you're charging a client, you know, thirty thousand or fifty thousand dollars a day for the shoot, it, it you know twenty four hundred dollars a day for a control because you also don't want it to look. Like you're taping things together uh, when you are uh, having a big client pay a lot of money for a shoot. So sometimes having something that looks bigger, even though it's um, not necessarily the most cost-effective way to do it, mm-hmm. uh, if it adds just a little bit more stability and uh, and it looks big and cool, um, sometimes that actually gets you more money mm-hmm. down the road. That's that's, that's the part my of the philosophy in life all along. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? They have to put the, like a PS on or a link on their site to like rent a tent. <laughs> Because yeah. you know these to yeah. see these mo- this is uh, shown at the beach in the bright sunlight. You're yeah. gonna put the need this thing in a tent to see the monitors, right? Yeah, yeah. I right. think it's it's uh, definitely out of most of our ranges. Maybe yeah. Alex, uh, Alex might yeah. might be able to get this thing. But. No, um, not anytime soon. <laughs> All right, let's move on to this, this next story. Um, so, for those of you who may have an old 5D Mark II laying around and some old helicopter parts, an old, yeah, because you know a lot of times <laughs> I have, you know, my 5D, it's uh, it's a couple of months, it's a week old. or so old, and you're tired of it, and you yeah, want to exactly. graft it to a helicopter and fly it over the oil spill. Uh, a company called uh, Perspective Aerials has released some some interesting 360-degree footage of the oil spill captured with that setup. And this is a good uh, adjunct to the last discussion we had about how photographers are being barred from getting out there and taking pictures of the oil spill. I wonder why. Yeah, exactly, because no one really knows that there's an oil spill, right? You right. can't really see it. And now um, this company, of course, is going above the roadblocks and taking pictures of this thing. Now, Ray, I know you're you're the, the guy on the show that has lots of aerial experience, and I hear a rumor that you actually have some RC helicopter experience as well, plus you're a photographer. So is this thing cool, and would, would, you, would you fly your 5D Mark II out over an oil spill with this? Well, as uh, those watching live can see, I have a uh, radio control oh, model helicopter. Oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I have several of those. Uh, the truth of the matter is, I'm just learning to fly those. I've flown RC aircraft and real aircraft and so forth, and I've done a lot of air to air and air to ground photography and, uh, and have been the pilot for other photographers doing air-to-ground, because it really helps big time if your pilot knows something about photography. Um, Let me just say that the unit that was uh, written up in this story looks like a fabulous unit. It's a quadcopter, 
and has uh, four propellers and is big enough to carry a um, a uh, 5D Mark II. And it also has a tilt and, uh, tilt and pan unit hanging below it so they can aim it regardless of the direction that the helicopter is facing. And uh, there's one other really important thing to, to understand about these helicopters, and that is the unit that uh, is in this article uh, has gyro stabilization. In other words, if the, uh, if the pilot lets go of the controls, the thing will go into a steady hover all on its own. Hmm. So it's kind of a semi-autonomous helicopter, whereas the helicopter that I showed to our live visitors here, which is a single-rotor Blade 400 helicopter, is inherently unstable. It's made to do aerobatics and be very nimble and is not a really a good platform for a camera because it requires a very skilled pilot. And uh, I would say I, I, I'm still learning to fly it, and, and I... I don't expect to be an expert flying it until I've invested about a hundred hours of flying time with it. So, so uh, Ray, Ray, so is it is it basically a a, a a helicopter that's on autopilot with manual override? Yes, that's the the one in the article. Now, let me say that we should keep an eye. Now, by the way, this guy says he this is a custom helicopter, and I believe he uh, I believe he invested over fifteen thousand in building this unit. Uh, and making it himself. But there are some quad helicopters that are, have uh, some amazing capabilities that are coming on the market. Have you seen the Parrot? Yes, that's exactly what I was going for. If you go to the ardrone.parrot.com... I'm buying one. We'll put that in the show link. By the way, they've announced the price. Have you heard it, Alex? Yeah, I'm, it was two ninety nine. I'm buying one. That's my pick for next week, even though it's not coming out until September. Well, what is it? Because I don't know what it is. <laughs> it is a quad helicopter, and let me tell you the features of it because it's amazing. This thing has gyros and accelerometers such that it will hover all on its own. But not only that, in addition to being gyro-stabilized like the one in the article, this helicopter has an a acoustic altimeter that shoots out the bottom of it. So you can set a certain altitude and say, please hover at six feet above the ground, and bang, it will go to six feet above the ground and or, hover. Or 60. Okay. But, yeah, or but, 60. Oh, but and Ray, by the way, can, you can control can it with I put your a, iPhone. Can I put a camera on that thing? Oh, it has okay, a camera. It has two cameras built into it. Oh. It has a normal standard definition video camera looking out the front of it. It has another one looking down. Now, this downward-looking camera is very special. It runs at 60. Well, I've seen one article that said 60, another said 90 frames per second. But let's understand what that camera's for. One of the problems, even though a, uh, a helicopter can hover over, uh, you know, in the air, it will drift around with the wind and so forth. Yeah. Well, this thing, this camera looking out the bottom of it is like an optical mouse. It's looking at the patterns on the ground and knows when it's moving in any direction and will then stay. It'll station keep over one point until you put control motion in. So it's doing, it's doing a feature searching, feature identification and searching and then using that to stabilize the motion. That's right. And, and it'll now, compensate for wind and, yep. and yeah. all that good stuff? Hmm. It'll station time. keep. It'll hold and, over and one And by the point. way, you can, you can, I, I played with one at, at CES yeah. uh, with this model uh, in its earlier form. And uh, yeah, you steer it with an iPhone. Really? Yeah, I was going to say, the final kicker is you control it with an iPhone. <laughs> That's crazy. And 
that you can look at the picture from the camera on your iPhone yeah. live. I don't know, but that that sounds like it might have some uh, some pretty interesting military applications. Uh, well, it's, it's actually driven from the military application. Yeah, yeah, of course. Hello. Well, the, so because the, the the one that um, uh, Lockheed Martin makes is about thirty grand, mm-hmm. and this one's three hundred. Wow. <laughs> yes. Wow. All right. By the way, you're getting one. You're getting one. Oh yeah, I'm getting one. Oh, Ray, yeah. you're getting one, right? Absolutely. The day they set pre-order, yeah. The, when they say pre-order, I am buying one. Yeah. Rick, Rick are you going to get Ray? One? Will be on the front row. Absolutely, man. <laughs> that, that, that looks like the coolest thing. That's what I love about this show. I learned so much. I that have no idea cool. what I'm going to do with it. I just know I'm going to do it's something. It's going to be hovering outside of the studio while we're recording. We're yeah, five for five here. I think everybody's <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like we're just going to we're going to have they're going to be all discount? over Petaluma. They're going to be all flying yeah. over Pe- all I'm over Petaluma. One. I'm yeah. getting one. Right. I, I have to get a plug in here. Uh, of course, I have the podcast Maxwell's House on the Twit Network. And next Thursday, I will be doing an entire show on remotely piloted vehicles, including wow. RC helicopters. All right. All Very right. Cool. cool. All right. So now, a guy that I've known for, geez, forever. He lives, like, literally, I don't know, probably a mile away from me, and uh, is Jeff Cable. And he's, he's joining us to talk about storage and the storage industry and how things, what, what things photographers can do to make sure that the images that they work so hard to get are actually there tomorrow when they decide to unload the card. So I'm here with Jeff Cable. He's the director of marketing at a company called Lexar Media. They, uh, they make um, all kinds of storage media for the devices that you as photographers probably use every day. But Jeff is here to talk to us about, um, to demystify kind of the, the world around these storage cards, CF cards, and what they mean, what photographers need to be looking out for when they buy them, um, we, just what the magic of, of speed ratings is and all that stuff. So um, we're going to dive into that. So, Jeff, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. Proud to be here. All right. So you, um, first of all, you, you run marketing at Lexar Media, but you're also a photographer in your own right. You've, you've shot the Olympics. You shoot models all the time. You're shooting bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, and everything mitzvah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so. Hey, if it's there, I'll shoot it. No, it, it's great. I do. I love photography. And um, it's actually great for me being a photographer and also being here at Lexar because it lets me... Um, understand you know, what is it that the, that the photographer deals with and what can we do to build a better product to to you know make life easier for the photographer yeah 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 so so then just before we get into the, the whole storage piece of this like on the on the professional photography side let's let's go to the olympics right mm-hmm. so you're at the olympics um and I, I ask a lot of photographers this like on, on one of the previous shows we were talking about going to africa and doing those safaris and that kind of thing how does someone prepare to shoot something that you may not get a chance to go shoot again, like the Olympics. What, what did you do to yeah, get your mind was, ready? Uh, that was a challenge. Honestly, I'm, I had seriously, I had probably a month's worth of sleepless nights just thinking about what gear to bring, how am I going to get it from one event to the next. Uh, you know, one of the big challenges with security was how was I going to get all that gear on the plane or would I have to check it? And do I really want to check, you know, $20,000 worth of gear? Yeah. And then what kind of gear would be loanable, you know, borrowable there? At the, you know, what would I not need to bring? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's a challenge, um, not only from the gear perspective, but, you know, thinking about, you know, trying to map out what events I was going to go to. So, obviously, I was shooting f- uh, officially for Team USA Hockey. So, those were the priority events. But then when there wasn't a hockey game, you know, could I hit, 
you know, short track speed skating? Could I go over and, and see ski jumping or, or bobsled? Things that you don't exactly see a lot of in San Jose, California, right? Right, right. So, um, yeah, I really wanted to, um, and it takes time at each event to scout out that particular venue and, and find things of interest. Like at bobsled, there were only four turns that had the Olympic lo- rings on the on the ice, on the turns. That's the key shot, right? Because it yep. shows you at the game. So. Yep. Learning all those little idiosyncrasies was uh, it was a challenge. And, and did you, you know. did you leave the games satisfied? Like, did you get the shots that you wanted? I did. I, I, I mean, I was I was satisfied. I shot a lot. Um, I've never been so exhausted in my life. I mean, mm-hmm. you literally are working, you know, eight in the morning till two in the morning, just about every day. And myself and the other photographers that were there were talking about the post Olympic syndrome. Mm-hmm. You know, it really takes you about six weeks to catch up on sleep and, and wow. key down. Uh, from the adrenaline because literally you don't walk ever you literally are running to the press bus running to the next thing running back to somewhere to get something to eat and then running to go edit before the next shoot and then literally get back at you know 11 o'clock at night trying to get dinner and then go back and you know try to post images to to usa hockey or even update my own blog um so yeah it's a challenge yeah it's got to be you've got to it's got to be uh kind of good for your cardiovascular system yeah. running around yeah, or losing weight or you're, yeah, you're not eating well i mean you're eating yeah. mcdonald's and costco and other like food but but you don't gain weight because literally you're you, burning you, it off you are yeah. burning it off yeah. yeah for sure yeah yeah all right so let, let's take it back to uh storage and preparation for that um as a segue into just talking about what photographers need to keep abreast of when they're when they're buying storage um for their cameras so when you're at the olympics how did you how did you manage the storage aspect of it? You know, I, you were, you and I were talking before about how in the olden days, you know, when when storage was really expensive, you would just buy what you could, right. fill it up, swap to the next card, fill it up. When you fill up all your big cards, you sw- go down to the smaller cards, and hopefully you had enough to cover the job. Right, right. Um, but things have changed a little bit. You want to explain? Yeah, I mean, obviously a little different for me. I had lots of memory cards with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lexar was there actually supporting the photographers at the press center. So mm-hmm. we had cards to loan people and readers and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, it's funny. Uh, when I shoot an event, like you mentioned, if I'm shooting a bar mitzvah or a wedding or something, it's not often I'm going to fill a 32 gig card, even though I'm shooting with a 5D Mark II and I'm shooting 21 megapixel images. At the Olympics, I was shooting with a 1D Mark IV, yeah. you know, bursting out 10 frames a second. It didn't take much to fill a 32 gig card. And there was, I think, one day where I actually shot 80 or 90 gig. Uh, it, you know, it, and it was daunting at the end of the day trying to go through all those images to find those, you know, key shots. Yeah. But, um, you know, Typically, when I shoot, I, I'll shoot, um, let's take a typical event, not the Olympics. I'll shoot, you know, the family pictures on one card. I'll shoot the event, the actual service, let's say, on one card. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the party on, on additional cards mm-hmm. um, in each camera. And so I tend to split it out like that. At the Olympics, um, you are literally filling cards faster than, you know, in a typical environment. Yeah. And, and and speed rating is key because... Um, you are you are actually hitting the buffer and filling the buffer of the camera. And there were certain events like um, short track speed skating uh, where they're going around the track, you know, numerous times per minute. Mm-hmm. And you're bursting out the entire time trying to wait for that one key moment where someone might fall or in the case where, you know, um, Apollo uh, Anton Odo makes that one pass, which right. I actually got that shot. If your buffer fills, you miss the shot and you can't mm-hmm. afford that. So having you know high speed and high capacity cards was absolutely critical especially in that environment yeah so like in a in a 
to bring it back to more what what the listening audience may be doing, like shooting weddings or something mm-hmm. like that. So they're going to be like, say they're shooting the the uh, the bouquet toss, right? Right. So they're going to shoot that on continuous high to make sure they get the shot. And they're going to burst, burst, burst. So you're, would you recommend? So it sounds like you'd recommend just you know at the beginning of that. And I know a lot of photographers do this anyway, but you're going to start with a fresh card at the beginning of every significant event, right? Whether it's Always. the ceremony, yeah. whether it's yeah. the bride getting dressed, it's whatever. Each one of those segments of the wedding is on a separate card. Yeah, I, I, I tend to shoot my, that way, and every photographer has a little different workflow. But mm-hmm. for me, I like to segment it. You know, I uh, I've been very lucky. Obviously, never had a uh, a card failure, and you know, I trust our product. But but. Um, it's something that I, I'm more concerned with with me losing a card than, mm-hmm. than I am with any kind of corruption. But I want to make sure that I've got those cards in my pocket. I turn them upside down in my card case so I know they're shot. Sure. Yeah. Um, I always format in camera, in the camera I'm using. So let's say I'm using multiple cameras like a 5D Mark II and a, you know, uh, a regular 5D. Mm-hmm. Um, I will make sure that I format that particular card in the camera I'm using knowing that every camera, every model has its own way of formatting a card, yeah. I think that's the cleanest way. And so, I mean, is, yeah. that, is that really necessary, though? I mean, I understand formatting and, you know, if you're shooting in a 5D, it makes sense to, sh- to only format in 5Ds and not, you know, to format in another camera body or another manufacturer, for that matter. Right. But right. you lock it down by serial number. I actually do. I've got multiple 5D Mark IIs, and I always format in the particular body that I'm shooting. Now, is, it, is that necessary? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But, you know, look, here's the thing. I... I'm shooting uh, and charging these people a fair amount of money to do that shot. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take every precaution possible. You know, when I come home uh, and I get, I get home at, let's say, at midnight, uh, the first thing I do is I download. I, I've got a stack of four of our readers, Fire 800 readers. I'm shoving all the cards in there, downloading everything and backing everything up before I even go to sleep because I'm so uh, paranoid uh, about making sure those images are there. Yeah. So I'll take every precaution possible and make sure that, I've, that you know, I come home because... You know, uh, at Lexar, we talk about speed and capacity and other things, but honestly, reliability is, is, is the most important thing because if I don't come back with my images, speed and capacity were irrelevant. Right. Okay, let, now let's bring, it, let's bring it to cards mm-hmm. in particular or storage media. Every photographer um, that's shooting digitally is, is going to rely on their either SD cards or their CF cards in the camera body, um, which makes it the, the weakest link, right? right? That's uh, right. Or it's one of the links in the chain that needs there's to... There's lots of links. Yeah, there's lots of links, so and all of them have to be operating at 100% or for you to get an image and, and right. show it to a client. So let's talk a little bit about uh, just speed of cards and speed ratings, because you know, I know me in particular... You know, um, when I'm when I'm looking to buy a card, and say it's on Amazon or in Fry's or something, I see all these different brands and manufacturers, and they span from, you know, hey, they'll pay you to take it away, all the way up to they want right. you got to take out a second mortgage to get the card. But they're the same form factor; they're made out of the same plastic. Only thing that's different on them is the label. Right. So, and I know the speed. They, you know, this one's one x, this one's two x, this one's three hundred x, this one's, you know, this one, you know, flies at the speed of sound. You know, yeah. kind of thing. So, can you explain? just in layman's terms, what these speed ratings mean and what the difference inside of a card, regardless of the manufacturer, what, what differentiates them? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of differences. Um, so, so, looking at, so people see the outside of the card, like you said, they all look the same. And people assume that they're all made in one factory with different labels on them. And um, that's obviously not the case. I mean, there's a couple companies that produce their own, and there's some companies that just buy them uh, outright from a manufacturer who's got extras laying around and they want to sell it and put their own label on it. Mm-hmm. But um, so there's, there's different uh, variances of memory card. Uh, there's the quality of the flash memory that's inside. Mm-hmm. So obviously there's the capacity that we already talked about. 
um, and how many chips are crammed into one of these little cards. Uh, and then the, the speed is actually determined by two things, by the, the quality and speed of the flash memory. Mm-hmm. And then the second piece is the controller chip that's inside that uh, card. The controller chip is kind of the brain. So, you know, if you speak French and I speak English and we can't communicate and we rely on a translator, that translator is going to determine the speed of our communication and the quality of our communication. And that's what the controller chip does inside the card. So when I take a picture with my camera, uh, the camera is then talking to the controller. Okay, here, I'm about to send you a picture. And the controller says, okay, thanks. Now, where do I put it? Okay, I'm going to put it over here in this memory. And all that's happening in, in the faster controllers can then do that and offload and clear your buffer that much faster in the camera. So then the, the controller itself is intellectual property of the storage manufacturer. It's not well, like there's this, this generic open source controller that no, anybody the, can invent. Yeah, it's not open source. And, and every, uh, well, again, almost like memory itself where... Um, Many companies will use Micron or Samsung or Toshiba Flash mm-hmm. um, memory, but uh, controllers, the, there are, yeah, there's proprietary controllers, and uh, some people make them, and some people just buy them. And, um, but regardless, it's the combination of having the right controller, having the right memory uh, in that uh, card, and then kind of how that firmware or the software that's in there is then tweaked to work um, we had a, we had a card back in the, you know a couple of years ago that Nikon had the D70. This is a while back, mm-hmm. and we had our I think it was our ADX card. This is a while back, yeah. and we were able to tweak the firmware in that particular card to to make the um, buffer clear thirty five percent faster right. in the in in the D70. And there was no change to the hardware in the Nikon camera or in the in our card. It was just a matter of how we were handshaking, if you will, between the two. Yeah. And the same thing is true inversely. So once you've shot those images and you take that card and you put it into a reader, what a lot of people don't know, even people at the Olympics who you would assume would be probably the most knowledgeable upper upper echelon photographers Mm -hmm. didn't realize that you could take a um, really fast memory card or in the compact flash world, they're known as UDMA or ultra Mm -hmm. direct memory access cards. If you take a UDMA uh, CF card and put it into a non-UDMA reader, even though the card's capable, let's say, of transferring 90 megabytes per second, you may only get 5 meg per second. It's when you marry it up with a, uh, a reader that is UDMA compliant. And this is true in a camera as well. If you're using a UDMA camera, you're going to flush the buffer that much faster. So speed is in all aspects of this. All these links in the chain. For example, so the light, that, the light bulb that just went on in my head is, you know, I've been cheaping out. And I've got a, uh, an Epson multifunction printer that has a built-in... Uh, card reader on there that's plugged into my Mac, the USB, and takes forever to copy things over, but it's convenient because I don't have to have another piece of kit on my desk. But um, if I had a UDMA card and a UDMA reader, then those things would just fly in. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when people see, like, we'll loan readers at the Olympics or, you know, if we're shooting at a motor, uh, you know, F1 race or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be, um, we'll loan out some product and the, the, Look on people's face when they experience it for the first time as a holy cow. That's what it's about. And, you know, it's funny for me, um, like I mentioned, when I get home at midnight, the difference between waiting for seven minutes to download the entire day's worth of shots versus, you know, 60 minutes means I get to sleep a little bit more. And and in the case of um, many times when I do shoot, uh, I will project images uh, halfway through, let's say, the reception of the party. Mm -hmm. I'll stop what I quickly download what I just shot and project those sets of images from the first, let's say, two hours of the event. And people are blown away by the immediacy 
But I can't take half an hour away from shooting to do that. It's got to be maybe five minutes of taken away from shooting because mm-hmm. there's still a lot of activities happening around me. Yep. So having having high speed cards and, and readers at that point is is critical. So then, and then in in like a normal or any any shooter's you know sort of job world, the the copying the images off of the card onto something else is critical. So then then. Let's talk a little bit about the, like the devices that that enable that. You know, we know we've got the iPad with the camera connection kit. If people can actually get their hands on one, me included, <laughs> um, and I know you have one because I'm looking at it right here on your desk. <laughs> so watch out; it may not be. Um, but just in terms of like things like the Epson, you know, Epson has a little device where you can you can stick the cards into, pull yep. all the images off. I've got should, one as well. Yeah. Should should people be using that, or should they just should they? You know, I know this is a loaded question. I'm ask, asking the marketing guy from Lexar, but should people just buy more cards and fill those well, up know, instead look, of offloading? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm also a realist and I'm a photographer, so I understand. I shoot along with other photographers. And I understand that not everybody has you know a wallet full of 32 gig cards laying around. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, so here's the way I look at things. Um, I. Um, I've got one of the Epson, I think it's a P3000, and frankly, I haven't used it in a long time because I do have a lot of cards, so I just take more with me. Mm-hmm. I also never tra- travel without my laptop so yeah. um, because I want the ability to go through them and edit them and, and do everything at full screen. Mm-hmm. But again, that's my workflow. So um, I choose, obviously, to have a lot of cards. Um, we would love to, for people to buy lots of cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and frankly, they've gotten inexpensive enough that it's probably worth doing. But that's not to say that you're not going to be on a vacation for three weeks and exhaust your card so mm-hmm. in those kinds of cases i think something like having um the epson device is is great or you just or have, your, your, laptop you just have or, your computer yeah you just, yeah i carry a, a 750 gig uh you know, little portable um uh, western digital passport drive with mm-hmm. me yeah. and so uh, even though i've got over 100 gig of cards with me i still want the ability to be able to offload and back up as a secondary source because sure. i never ever format a memory card until i know that it's backed up onto at least Two different hard drives yeah. on my home system. That's, just, what, that's what Alex home. Lindsay says. Uh, he, he always says data doesn't really exist unless it's in two places simultaneously. Yeah, and in two remote places. I mean, I tell people all the time. I back up, but I also I've got a hard drive here at Lexar, uh, a four terabyte drive, and I have another one at my house. So God forbid if there's a fire, yeah. you know, I've got it backed up off site, which mm-hmm. I think is also important for people to remember. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's let's switch gears a little bit and and talk about. The and, and I know we talked about this a little bit, but I want to get a little bit deeper on the the inherent differences between cards and w- why a one card is more expensive than another card. You know, because like from a from a layman's perspective, I'm just I'm buying the same amount of atoms, right? Um, but right. you know, is it is there some magic pixie dust that 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 you, that's in the more expensive cards, or is it you know Jeff? Jeff Cable in Excel saying that this one is you know more <laughs> <Yeah>. expensive. <laughs> no, it's actually the pixie dust. Um, the uh, so there's a couple of things that, that make them different, and, and and so we talked about memory and we talked about controllers. There's different qualities of memory. Uh, and in the case of our really high speed products, the memory that we use is a much higher quality, um, also a much more expensive. Uh, um, memory that's used in those cards uh, mm-hmm. more expensive for us to buy more expensive for us to uh to put in there and the controller because it has to be a high-speed controller is also more expensive so the cost to, to build a high-speed product is is uh exponentially more than than a non-speed rated very you know the kind of card that you're going to buy you know for seven bucks or nine bucks you know at target mm-hmm. so there's different uh qualities there in in memory and, and controllers but there's also um 
a different amount of testing that goes into them. Uh, we have a video on YouTube that we put up just a couple weeks ago on how we test our products and have almost had, I think, 10,000 hits already. Because mm-hmm. people don't realize how much work and how much um, intelligence is actually going on behind the scenes in this little piece of plastic or metal that's in your hand. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's easy to take for, take for granted. I know I do because it's, it's like the... It just it's supposed to work, you know. Well, you put it in there; it's supposed to work. And but when I get upset is when it doesn't work. So yeah, that's and that's what I want to talk about. Yeah, next, and, it, and it's, that's what's funny is that you know people will say, "Well, gee, you know, but your product is uh, seven dollars more than the other product, or you know, mm-hmm. not just mine, but you know, other other higher end brands." And and um, what you have to remember is the card is being used. It's not like a roll of film where you use it one time and you're done, right? Mm-hmm. You're using this card over and over again. And so, let's say you're spending ten dollars more for for one card over another, mm-hmm. um, but you're using it a hundred times, so it's only really costing you 10 cents more. Right. And the funny thing is people will try to you know, save those, that money, and then they lose their images. And we get people all the time that, that contact us to try to help them recover images, not just you know, from our products, from all different products. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, they'll, they'll offer us hundreds of dollars. Please, please, please save my images from our, you our once-in-a-lifetime yeah. trip to Hawaii. And, yeah. and, um, you know, and yet they save $7. Right, you know, right. and now they're willing to spend three hundred to try to you know save the image. So we tell people, look, you know, if if you're if you're even remotely interested, is serious about your photography, mm-hmm. you know, and and you've invested, God knows how many thousands of dollars. You and I both share the same bug, right? Mm-hmm. Where new lens must buy, yeah. um, yeah. and so you know, we spend thousands and spare thousands no of expense dollars. on the. It's like like we were talking about yesterday. It's like spare no expense when you buy the Ferrari and you keep it beautiful. You you know wax it and look at it. One last peek in the garage before you go to bed. All that, but then you put some cheap tires on it. Right. Yeah, and you just don't. And so yeah. and it kills me, frankly, when I when I see someone with a really great body camera. Let me rephrase that. Great camera body. Um, <laughs> I'll get in trouble with my wife. Um, when I see a, a photographer with a really great camera body and you know great lens, and, and and they really have all the right equipment, great tripod, and everything else, and then they pull out some you know no name memory card, and I'm thinking to myself, you're trusting twenty thousand dollars of equipment yeah. into a product that's you know to your point, you know being those cheap tires on the Ferrari. You know if you've invested in the Ferrari and you got it all looking good and it drives great, why would you do that to it? So don't yeah. cripple yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about what about cam- speaking of great bodies, right? So camera bodies, mm-hmm. um, and I know there there's a rumor, and you can tell me right now, is it true or not that the camera body, like whether it's Nikon, Olympus, Canon, Sony, or whatever. Um, your success with certain memory cards or certain manufacturers' memory cards will vary based on the body that you're using it in. For example, if you use a SanDisk or a Lexar in a Nikon, you're going to have a different experience. Yeah. You know, is that yeah, true? Not so much anymore. I mean, I, I, back in the day when I started, I've been here for almost six years. Um, back in the day, um, we had some agreements where we had some technology called WA, right, right acceleration, mm-hmm. and Nikon adopted it more than Canon did. So people would say, "Oh, well, Lexar is better with 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 Nikon." But you, know, it, it, today, um, it's really come down to more of um, you know the the way that the controllers and the memory and, the, and this firmware is done. It, it's a fairly um, even playing field, I guess, is the best way to put it. Where mm-hmm. there really isn't one card manufacturer that's going to marry up better to a particular camera. Now, with that said, if you look at someone like Rob Galbraith's mm-hmm. website, he will speed test to a particular camera body. And, you know, do people have to worry about the thousandth of a second difference between a card? No. Right. Um, but, you know, again, I think the reliability is probably the thing people should be most concerned about. Mm-hmm. And secondarily, I think, um, you know, you can look at things like, okay, which one's working faster? I mean, if you take a 
um, UDMA card, mm -hmm. then you just want to make sure, if you have a UDMA camera, mm -hmm. then I recommend having a UDMA card. Mm -hmm. If you have a really fast UDMA camera, you know, if you have a Nikon D3S or a Canon 1D Mark IV or a Canon 7D or certain cameras that really take advantage of, of, of uh, UDMA, then you really want to have a card like a 600X sure. you know, Pro card in there because you'll see the buffer clearing that much faster. And we, again, did a video on YouTube where I shot with um, the 7D uh, in a soccer uh, field, and I put I showed the speed difference between a an ADX card, which took about 45 seconds to clear the buffer. Mm -hmm. Then I put a 300X card uh, in there, and it cleared the buffer in, I think, like 14 seconds. Right. And then I put our new 600X card in, and it cleared it in six seconds. And so as a photographer, the difference between six seconds and 45 seconds, if you're shooting something like the Olympics, is I either got the shot or I didn't yeah, get the shot, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so what, before, I, before I move on, you were 300X, 600X, X what? Yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> what does what X actually X? mean? Yeah. yeah, X rating means different things to different people. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, Triple so, X. Yeah, exactly. No, we're not going to go there. Um, <laughs> so, so a 600X card that we have, and, and so... Um, and I should say also, there, when you talked about different kinds of cards, um, some manufacturers will say that they guarantee a speed rating. In the case of Lexar, we say we guarantee a minimum sustained ride speed of 600x, which means about 90 meg per second. Mm -hmm. Most manufacturers out there, and, and I encourage people when they buy a product to look at the package carefully, because a lot of manufacturers out there say up to. So mm -hmm. if you say if they say, say something's up to three hundred X or six hundred X, those marketing it, people. Yeah, those marketing <laughs> guys got. But what does that really mean? You know, are you averaging? 20x or 100x you don't know so mm -hmm. you want to look at that but um i mean those are the things that, that differentiate so know? look so look for the up to and and be aware of that because if you say up to 600x they could be at 25x right? yeah that's but right. then but then again so what's what's so, that what's so, the increment what, what yeah, are we so measuring the x against is the it a x, second the x actually the x actually came from the old days of cd-rom mm -hmm. when they when they're burning cds and they came out with a uh um a CD that was, you know, 4X. And yeah. I think X is based on 150K per second or whatever. So what it comes down to is a, a, a 300X card is about 45 meg per second transfer rate. Okay. And a 600X is about double that, about 90 meg per second. And um, most of the cameras that are out there right now, actually, um, you know, some, like I mentioned before, could take pretty close to full advantage of it, and mm -hmm. some can't. But um, to me, it, you know, because I don't you know, shoot the Olympics every day, uh, and therefore, I don't fill the buffer every day. To me, it's almost more important with the download speed than it is with the actual in-camera performance. Although, depending on what you're shooting, if you're shooting any kind of sports, or in your case, the burst mode with you know, throwing the bouquet, mm -hmm. those are the moments that are really key. Right. But right. again, the, the, the consistency for me is always being able to download really quickly. Because mm -hmm. sometimes I have a client standing behind me Waiting, waiting to see their images, mm -hmm. and I don't want you know. I, I had um, uh, a client who came by. Uh, he's one of the professional athletes here in the Bay Area, mm -hmm. and he came over to the house when we were done shooting. And when I did their Christmas picture for them three or four years ago, yeah, I had to feed him, give him and his wife a diet coke, and we hung out in my living room for <laughs> half an hour while I was downloading. Oh uh, yeah. And when I shot their Christmas picture for him last year, I was shooting with our at the time um, our the six hundred X card, and literally within I think ten seconds of putting the card in. Uh, I was able to start previewing my images in wow, the software. Magical, yeah. yeah, it was it was unbelievable. Yeah, it, it uh, all this card talk and speeds and all this reminds me to the, one of the biggest lessons I ever learned, and that was um, they had a there was an air show here locally in the Bay Area. This was way back in the day, I don't know, like ten years ago or something. Yep, and I um, uh, I went there and I had one of the the original new at the time 
iPods. Remember those? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the white I have ones. one. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, it, and they had come out with this kit that you plug into it, and you could put a card into it, and it would bring me – you could use it as a hard drive. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm like, you know, I, I don't need all these expensive cards. I'll just bring my iPod. It's got a lot of space on it and a couple Seven of Seven hours later. I get out there. I'm on the runway, and the, the Blue Angels are doing their thing, and I'm shooting, I'm shooting. Of course, I ran out of space, so I pulled the card out, put it in my iPod, and – like seven hours later, yeah. you know, seriously, <laughs> it, it, yeah. and I lost, I missed a lot of shots is the, is the bottom line. So, yeah. So basically today, all that's gone, right? So we can, well, and it's, and, you know, to be, to, to be honest, I mean, it's not gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still times we're going to fill a buffer. You know, the difference yeah. is how quickly can the buffer at least be offloading some images so you can still shoot again. I mean, sure. when you're shooting at 10 frames a second um, at full resolution and raw, and I, and I do shoot everything in raw, um, you're still going to hit that buffer, yeah. uh, and and so we haven't hit the you know the the world of shooting endlessly and never you know I mean if you do if you put any of these newer cameras into a medium JPEG mode, I can hold the shutter down even at 10 frames a second and, and probably shoot thousands of images without without ever letting go. Yeah, but that's not the way I shoot. Right, you know, right. so, you'd be shooting all day. Just da, 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 your battery would die before. Yeah. 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 yeah, and actually, I tested that with someone with uh, nunchucks, and we were shooting and you know animating the dang thing. It was nice. it was incredible, but yeah. uh, you know shooting in I think small JPEG. But yeah, I'm not going to charge someone a lot of money to shoot an event with small JPEGs. So here here's another question: um, data itself, right? So I'm I'm out shooting a job, and this this goes to the whole you know ca- catastrophic thing. You know, I lose all my data for some reason. The card. You know, some neutrino flies through the planet and changes, flips a bit on my card. <laughs> what do I do? I mean, do is there like as a photographer? You know, what what kind you of panic recourses? First. Well, you panic. Yeah. Then you call drive savers, and then yeah. they 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 take yeah, out actually, a second mortgage on your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah that is expensive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, that is a panic mode. Um, and again, being a photographer, um, when I talk to other photographers who have had this happen, you know, I understand the sweat. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that that is a scary moment and one that again, I don't ever want to experience. Um, but there's a couple of things that can be done. So most times, so a couple of things that people don't know is if you accidentally format a card or erase an image, you can recover a card fairly easily. We, so you know, Lexar has Image Rescue, which uh, Image Rescue Four, which is our software which we use for data recovery, and it comes with all of our pro cards and mm-hmm. can be purchased by anybody else. Well, before, um, you, before you go on, for the folks yeah. who don't know, when you when you format a card, what's actually happening? So, it, it, so to take a card and think of a, a book. Mm-hmm. It, it, when you format a memory card, it's almost like erasing the table of contents. But you're not actually erasing the the chapters that are still there. Mm-hmm. It's like if Toledo, Ohio is there and someone gives you a map and they erase the map, well, Toledo, Ohio is still <laughs> in existence. And yeah. so what happens when you format a card, it just erases the table of contents and the, your images will still be there until you shoot some more and start overwriting those images. And so um, image, uh, image Rescue thing can go back. And there's other companies that have a, a image recovery software that can go back and kind of find those images without having a table of contents, if you will. Okay. Um, that's one way. Now, if you have really catastrophic uh, errors, and we've had some of our uh, photographers that we work with um, who are some of the most um, highly respected photographers in the world, yeah. who, you know, someone was shooting a Hurricane Katrina and dropped their, their Nikon DSLR into this, I, don't even, I wouldn't even call it water, I guess it was a combination of water, sewage, gasoline, and God knows what. Yeah. yeah. The, the camera was trashed, the card was in this saltwater mush. Um, 
and, and there's no data recovery software that's going to easily pull that out. Right. And so what we do, is anybody who buys a pro card from us can send it back and we'll actually go through. And if we have to, we can go down to hardware level and start unsoldering things if we have to. Hmm. Uh, and, and we'll do that. So one of the things that differentiates, I hope, our company from others is the, is the level of, of support that we provide to those customers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, they shouldn't panic if, if you lose images because most of the time they can't be recovered. Now, mm-hmm. that's not the Unless you've overwritten the them, right? If you've overwritten them, then you've scrambled the bits and, yeah, and if, you're, if it's like trying to, uns- yeah. it's trying to unbake a cake, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. But, but what's interesting is there are people who rarely fill a card. Let's say you have a 16 gig card and you fill 16 gig a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And now you shoot and you put four on this week and eight gig on next week and so forth and so on. And three years from now, you run data recovery software on it. You'll find those images from three or four years ago Ooh. at the very end. Um, wow. Yeah. So if you really want to make sure that they're gone, um, inside of Image Rescue, there's a, a feature called Secure Erase, which actually overwrites all the bytes of mm-hmm. the card. Like and military grade yeah, erasing. And yeah. basically puts it almost back to factory settings. And it's not a bad thing to do uh, once in a while. Um, where you can completely wipe the card and make sure that you're you know clean and there's no extraneous yeah. junk left. I would there. I would you know now that I think about that you know I've got a bunch of two gig cards and four gig cards that I got to get rid of and probably put them on eBay or something. Um, probably want to <laughs> make sure that those yeah. cards are empty because I know you've been shooting, Fred. <laughs> You know, people it's like, wow, look at all these interesting things yeah, on this these cards. This is true of hard drives, too. I mean, people yeah. that, you know, recycle their computers. Yeah, or um, sell your computer and you think you formatted it. Yeah. You really just deleted the table of contents and everything you had on that computer is still there. Oh, right? Absolutely. I mean, what, you know, it's funny. People laugh at me, my neighbors, because whenever I recycle a computer, I take, you know, the old 40 gig drive out. Mm-hmm. I literally take a sledgehammer to it and just yeah. demolish it because there's no better way to secure it. You know, and it's yeah. not that I have anything that scary, but I've got my Quicken data, whatever on there. Sure. So, yeah. so the same thing is true with memory cards as it is with hard drives. You yeah. want to be careful of that data. All right. Let's, let's talk about the future now. So, um, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Here we go. Oh, here it is. Here's the spot again. I'll, you know, I always put people on the spot. Um, you know, these cards, you know, and I've been looking at them since, you know, when they were really tiny. I have some 512 meg cards in, you know, at home. Remember those? I have a 32 meg card somewhere, yeah. Right. Yeah. So so technology, you know, so we go from those cards, those small, tiny little dinky cards, all the way up to today. You know, I'm sitting at your desk looking at a 32 gigabyte card, you know. Don't is touch. Not yours. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it, I guess the, the, the question is. Where do we go from here, you know, and is there room to go further in our storage companies just, you know, kind of turn the, turning the dial to drip out this technology in order to keep the revenue going? Or is it like, for example, could you today say we're going to make a 120 gigabyte card right now? Or is there some, you know, is there some sort of magic that you're waiting on to happen in order to make that card? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, you, are we always looking to make bigger cards? Sure, we're looking at that, but there's also that trade-off between making one just because we can make one and making one because customers need it. So sure. if you take like the 32 gig card, if you're an Olympic shooter like like I was in Vancouver or Beijing, 32 is something that's very viable and makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're shooting your kid's um, you know birthday party, 32 gig may be a lot. Now, mm-hmm. if you're shooting video. Mm-hmm. then that's a different story because video, especially in the DSLRs or you know, some of these other cameras, right. can chomp up a lot of memory. So 32 gig becomes smaller at that point. So depending on what you're doing, um, you know, it does matter. Just like, I mean, uh, memory is being used now in solid-state disk drives. Like we have a 250 gig uh, solid-state drive under our Crucial Technologies brand. 
where 250 gig is great, uh, mm -hmm. makes tons of sense if it's going to be a solid-state drive in, in, in your computer. Yep. I don't know if I'd want to shoot with a 250 gig card in my camera. I think that would be a little overkill. Sure. So it, depends, it really depends on, on, on what you're doing. Yeah. So when, when am I going to see a uh, CF slot or an SD slot on an iPad? Uh, you have to ask Apple that question. <laughs> you know, actually, well, they've got they've already got their, their the photo connection kit, which uh, they have one that has the SD uh, card slot. Yep. Um, we actually, um, you'll see this in a well. Be I need it built in and flush mount so yeah, that, that I can be, just store everything be, on it. That would yeah. be kind of nice. Of course, I shoot all CF uh, pretty much. So, um, but for me, like one of the things uh, we have uh, again another video that we're that we have on YouTube or will be on YouTube uh, pro uh, in the next day or so from this recording, um, showing how we can actually connect uh, one of our new readers, which has you know twenty four in one, you know, so it could be compact flash SD, micro SD, mm -hmm. memory stick, whatever you want, um, into the photo connection kit and take, what's really cool is you can take raw images right off of my 5D Mark II at full resolution, pop it into uh, the reader and uh, and immediately start viewing them on the on the iPad, which is yeah. really, really um, uh, neat to be able to you know show someone you know that size screen with that great yeah, resolution that what, great. what we're doing that is great i think that the the one drawback of that is that the the ipad is 32 gigabytes right and you guys are going to soon probably surpass what you can even store in an ipad so and that's with your stuff already on there yeah but yeah. I, I would i don't see the ipad as a full archival device what mm -hmm. i see it as is um like for me I use my my iPad for my portfolio mm -hmm. of my my favorite images, yep. um, and then you know, examples of different types of work. But in the case of, of moving raw images to it when I'm out in the field, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna look at look at the previews of all of them, and I'll pick the ones I think that are the ones that I really want to look at closer and import just those. So mm -hmm. I use it more, more in that more as a, more as a screening tool. Yeah. But Jeff, thank you for, for taking the time. You've answered most of my questions. And if you haven't, people can ask questions online and all that stuff. But uh, where, where can people go to find out more about you and the stuff you're working on and Lexar and all that magic? Well, Lexar uh, is at www.lexar.com, L-E-X-A-R.com. Uh, for me personally, um, and actually, and Lexar's got you know a Facebook page and, and, and Twitter and, and all that. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, and for me personally, uh, my website is uh, jeffcable.com, so J-E-F-F-C-A-B-L-E.com. And then there, I also have my blog, which comes off of there, which is uh, just go to my website and connect it there. I have uh, my Facebook uh, page for my photography as well mm -hmm. um, and Twitter, which I'm just starting to get into uh, more <laughs> and more here. But, um, yeah, so I, I try to uh, update the blog at least you know once or twice a week, whether mm -hmm. it's uh, stuff I'm doing uh, for fun or you know shooting professionally and one of the great things uh, that I've had the, you know not only doing the Olympics but some amazing opportunities to shoot um, I mean I got to shoot the ad for Lexar with uh, Vincent LaFerre oh, hanging yeah. out of a helicopter with the doors off over uh, over the Empire State Building and you know those are the kinds of things you put in the blog like man I'm really lucky yeah <laughs> yeah you know and um uh, and next week I, I get to go to the, the top of the Golden Gate Bridge and shoot I'm very excited about that so so um you know, I like to put stuff on like that, and I like to actually give people um, tips as to you know what I'm doing. You know, if I'm mm -hmm. trying some slow shutter, really dragging the shutter and, and doing a night shots, and how I'm getting them, and trying to make it interesting for both people who wanted to see good photos, but also you know how to get them. Yeah, I, I think you you're you as a photographer are really inspirational because you haven't been doing this for for 
like 30, 40 years, you, you're relatively new to the space, but you're cranking out some amazing images. So Thanks. I congratulations that. on that. Yeah, People I mean, should definitely yeah. go check those out. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks. Coming from you, that, that says a lot. Because you've been in this for a long time. Yeah. Don't, don't tell anybody. Hold <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping that secret. Oh, okay. Shh. All right, Jeff. Thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for taking the time. This, is, this has been a really good interview. That's been fun. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, so with that, let's jump into the listener questions. And the first one is up from John Hayes. And I think I want to kick this one over to Mr. Rick Salmon. Rick, do you have the you have this question in front yep. of you over there? Yep, it's on yep. HDR, and I know you know a thing or two about that. Yeah, you want me to read it? Yeah, go for it. He says, I know HDR is the rage these days. It is. I really enjoy panels. However, CS5 seems to crawl when I'm stitching panels on my MacBook Pro, what is your recommendation workflow from image capture through stitching? Which applications would you recommend? Well, you know, I tried the, um, and I've tried actually a few times, the new HDR Pro in CS5. And I haven't gotten the same results that I've been able to get, maybe because I've been using it longer, the same kind of results, seeing deep into the shadows and getting those great highlights that I get in Photomatics. So I'm still a big, big fan of uh, Photomatics. And I have shot panos. Uh, if you're going to shoot a pano, what you want to do is this. Uh, I've shot, you know, five, six-step, uh, you know, panos. You want to do, you want to take enough exposures of each scene to capture the entire dynamic range. You want to hold your camera vertically, okay? So this is the first part of the workflow. You want to hold your camera vertically, because when you stitch, some stuff at the top and some stuff at the bottom is going to be cut off. You want to leave your exposure on the manual. If you leave it on aperture priority or shutter priority or program, whoops, sorry, it's going to, the exposure is going to change and your sky is going to have these like bands in it, which you definitely don't want. Mm -hmm. uh, so you want to hold it vertically. You want to leave the white balance the same. You want to leave the exposure the same. And also, once I'm focused, I turn the focus off just so... Uh, it doesn't have to you know, spend time focusing. Mm -hmm. You overlap a third, and then what I do with each of those segments, say it's three or four or five you know, uh, <clears throat> shots for each segment, I'll merge them together in photomat photomatics, and then I'll bring, without making any adjustments, this is important too, I merge them together in photomatics without making any adjustments, and then I will use the photo merge in CS5, which is totally amazing. I mean, you could do this. I've, I've done this now. I hardly ever use a tripod. <laughs> you know, you should use a tripod if you're not sure, but I, I've done panels there on my website, a handheld uh, that, that are just, like, totally amazing. Yeah. So I, I, I would recommend, uh, you know, following those tips, and, and, you know, do a comparison. I think in different situations, you'll find that, you know, maybe CS5, the HDR Pro and CS5 might work better or compares to Photomatics or Lucis Pro or some of the other ones out there. Um, but I'm still a big fan of uh, Photomatics. Mm -hmm. Oh, just another tip here. Mm -hmm. When you do merge all these things together, big enemies of... Uh, of HDR or chromatic aberrations and noise. So you always want to shoot at the lowest possible ISO setting, even though outside with the 5D Mark II or 7D Mark II, you could shoot at, you know, ISO 1000 and not get much noise. Um, if you do get chromatic aberrations, that's like the weird bands, like uh, where there's strong contrast in the scene or big difference in the colors. If you see those chromatic aberrations, you know, Photoshop, Photomatics and some of the other programs out there um, let you take HDR programs let you take out the uh, let you reduce sorry reduce the chromatic aberrations in the program but you're much better off trying to remove those chromatic aberrations from each image first before you go before into you uh, yep 
big enemies of uh, of uh, HDR. All right, uh, just just a quick uh, question from the chat room for you, Rick. Uh, Architan wants to know how do you get a good pick without a tripod? Well, uh, it's it. Try it. Try doing a panel without. Try doing a panel overlapping the third. Again, leaving your uh, your exposure on automatic. Getting the good. You meet at the brightest part of the scene. Overlap a third. Try it in photomatics. You'll be amazed at at how this works. Again, I have examples on my website. It, it's truly amazing how well how well uh, the photo merge in CS four and five works. Okay. Awesome. All right. Question number two. Um, I, I think I want to kick this one over to Ray. Ray, are you, you have a, this question number two in front of you? Uh, yes. Uh, question number two from uh, Jim Harmer. Uh, I use my DSLR almost exclusively, but my wife recently bought a point-and-shoot uh, with uh, way too many megapixels for the tiny sensor. Consequently, the noise is unbearable when I am shooting at high ISOs. If I reduce the resolution to... A medium JPEG on the camera will it reduce noise by only capturing uh, the light uh, with some of the pixels, or will it just take the picture with norm uh, as normal and then throw away some of the pixels to reduce the file size? This I think varies from camera to camera and the algorithm they use. I would recommend shooting at full resolution and then controlling that downsizing by using Photoshop or one of the other. Uh, external pieces of software where you know that they're averaging the multiple pixels because uh, averaging multiple pixels will reduce the uh, noise and improve the signal to noise ratio uh, but this is this is this is one of the you know banes of uh, jamming more and more megapixels into smaller and smaller chips as the pixel size gets smaller and I am talking about the pixel size not the chip size yeah it's the density and as that pixel size gets smaller, you are going to increase noise, you're going to reduce signal-to-noise ratio, and you're also going to hit the diffraction limit of your lenses much okay. sooner at lower apertures. And in a, there are cameras out there now that, that, quite frankly, having umpteen megapixels doesn't really matter because the lens can't resolve that much uh, as it is. And again, I wrote an article on Luminous Landscape on that topic of hitting a brick wall due to diffraction limiting. Great. Okay, so they can head over to Luminous Landscape and and search for that. And uh, what 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 would they search for? Uh, if they search for uh, brick wall or uh, let's see, I wrote another one. Uh, oh, I've forgotten the title. But uh, they can oh, search pixel. for your name though. Right? I, yeah, I mean, search for Ray Maxwell, and I think I wrote one on size matters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm talking about pixel size. I've, I've been waving that flag, you know. No one believes it. All right, Alex, you want to take uh, take question number three? Yeah. So this is from Mike Shepard. He said, "I've noticed you guys recommend that everyone with a digital camera get a fast 50 millimeter." And this is a good one for me because I'm, I'm the one that recommends it the most. Mm-hmm. 1.8 <laughs> or 1.4, or otherwise. Uh, I was wondering if the, if you made the suggestion, regardless of whether or not a person has a crop sensor body or not. When I bought my D90 last year, I decided to go for the Nikon 35mm f1.8. Um, as I figured, the crop factor would uh, mean I essentially had what was closer to a 50mm. Would you recommend that I get a 50mm lens uh, in addition to the 35 or is that not really necessary? And I'd say that's not really necessary. I think the real point is having a really fast lens um, that is roughly about 50 millimeters is just something you'll use a lot. A 35 is better. One of the reasons that I say 50 is because it's the cheapest. Mm-hmm. So a fast 50 is going to be the cheapest lens because it's just very common. Uh, the glass is common. And so you can buy a 1.8 50 for like 
a hundred bucks, yeah. you know, for a Nikon or, or Canon. And so the reason I suggest it is mostly thinking about people getting started and they're going to get a Rebel or they're going to get a D90 or they're going to get something. They don't have a lot of money to spend on this. And so my idea is not to give them this really expensive, you know, because even if you, if you vary from, from that 50 up or down, the price goes up. You know, to get it fast. Yeah. So, or so they'll, it's a good sweet spot to start. It. Yeah. And it's just a good number. And, and, and it is more like an 80 if you're, buy, if you're, if you're on a crop sensor. Um, so it's, it's, more, it's closer to a portrait lens mm-hmm. uh, if you're on a crop sensor and a little bit more normal uh, uh, lens length if you're on a, a full-frame uh, sensor. And it's just, it's just a great way to instantly upgrade. It's amazing. You open that aperture up. And, and I, I would do it carefully. For the people who have listened to me, because mm-hmm. um, you know, if, you, if you open it up to 1.8, it is so short. Um, your depth of field is so short, especially when you get someone less than five feet. It's like tip of the nose to the edge of the eyebrow. Sometimes, right? if you if you're if you're a foot and a half or two feet away from someone, your depth of field is is literally like an inch. Wow. You know, and so the problem is, is that even if you can get them into focus, the the issue that you get into is that it doesn't really look the way you thought it was going to look. And so one thing you'll learn is starting to move up and down. Somewhere between one eight and three five is going to be the solution for you. Yep. Um, it's not going to necessarily because what happens? Two people are standing next to each other, and you take a picture, and one person's razor sharp, and the other person's a little soft. And there's that classic photo. And what you what, what you have to figure out is how to. What and this is where it take, just takes practice. What aperture am I going to set it to so they're in focus, but the background is out of focus? Mm-hmm. And that's where you know that's where they separate the. So we we need like this 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 heads up display Terminator style view in these cameras that will show. Hey, back there is out of focus. Well, and you know right what's here funny? Is in what's focus. funny is this is your range. In my Sony you know? camera, it actually is there. I mean, in my Sony video camera, yeah. there's a little there's a little bar at the bottom that tells you this is your distance that's in focus right now. Yeah. And it would be it would be great to see you know those kind of things uh, you know applied more. But yeah. so so the the answer to this question is doesn't really matter. You know, if, if you really could choose, I think a 35 is probably a little bit better mm-hmm. because it just gives you it, it, it makes it more more utilitarian as far as the shoot goes. Uh, the 80 you'll find a little bit. You know, like you have to back up a little bit to get everybody in. So, uh, or the effective 80 millimeter is, you know, if a 50 millimeter on a crop sensor, you have to back up a little bit to get everybody in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that would be the only thing that, uh, you know, that, that I would say about that. All right, let's uh, let's jump into the picks of the week. All right, Alex, what's your what's your pick? So my pick of the week is uh, something I got for my 5D before I left for Africa. And um, here I'll put put it up for those for those of you who are looking. So this is a um, this is made by Beach Tech and it's called a DXA SLR and they, they make a bunch of different ones and this is for your SLR and what this does is you attach your camera on top of it so you screw it in. There's a little a little mount here, mm-hmm. typical uh, quarter twenty that you can that you can pop in here and it's got a little roller here so that you can pop it in and it's got a mount that you can you can mount it to your tripod. Mm-hmm. So basically this just becomes attached to your camera and but what it does is it allows you to have two XLR ins. So now you have two XLRs, so you can have professional mic- microphones plugged into this, and then this has a little output that has an, ar- this has an out, which is just an eighth-inch jack that will go into, the, into your 5D or into whatever. Uh, it's about $400. And, uh, but what it does is now, and I can also, I have trims, so I have uh, my little volumes for the overall. I can yeah. have a line in, but I can also have my, uh, really? my little mic controls here. And, um, and, and this is, you know, we've had versions of this for 10 years. So from Beach Tech. And so they've all, they've all worked very well for us. And uh, this is the, the most crazy one that I've gotten so far. And, uh, and it's just you have an overall volume. You have ref, left and right. And um, this is a great solution when you want to try to figure out how you're going to get big, good mics going into your SLR camera for those of you who are doing video. And as people know, I'm, I think that that's an important thing to think about. Cool. That's it. All right. Mr. Ray Maxwell, what's your, what's your pick of the week? 
My pick of the week this week is a set of filters that I've fallen in love with for Photoshop, and I believe they'll also uh, uh, work with Lightroom. And it's from topazlabs.com. And there's several things. I, I, these give all kinds of artistic looks. I've really enjoyed these. You can buy the whole set for Photoshop for like $170 or so. But what is really neat is you can download them and use them for 30 days, fully operational, no charge. Hmm. Uh, so to download them, play with them. I have made uh, dozens and dozens of prints. I introduced them to the printmaking uh, club that I belong to, and everybody there has gone nuts over them. Cool. Uh, they do all kinds of artistic looks. Awesome. Topazlabs.com. All right. And last but not least, Rick, what is your yep, pick of the my, week? Yeah, my pick of the week is uh, actually goes along with Alex's pick, uh, the Handy Zoom Recorder. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is great. You know, I did a lot of the uh, the interviews that I do for uh, – you know, my, my podcast with that. But also, you hooked us up to the 5D or the 7D. Great sound. Really great sound. The Handy Zoom HN4 recorder. I, lo- I have I have a, the H, yeah. uh, H4N. And, and I, H4N, right. And I so love it. I that have, that and the it. R16. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. That's a magic in a little tiny box, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Stere- stereo. All right. So my, my pick really quickly is... Um, I'm going to have to go with iPhone OS 4 because <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's coming out today hope. and hopefully it's available. I'm watching the chat room and some people are saying that they already got it and I'm jealous. Um, but anyway, uh, it's particularly, uh, actually, it's my, my pick is the iPhone 4 because of the camera features in there. But you, you don't have it yet. You can't pick something you don't I'm have. Picking it. I'm picking it based on what I saw in the demo. Wow. And I can do that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm picking it because I the if the images look anywhere near the images that I've seen demo or that I've seen you know on is, Apple is yours side, arriving on Thursday? Mine is not because I'm like the other gazillion people that couldn't get theirs ordered, so I ordered mine the next day, which yeah. means I'll get it next November or yeah. something. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> no, I'll get it next month. But uh, yeah, I couldn't. I was uh, 1 a.m. I was trying to order that thing, press and reload, and it kept timing out. So I'm one of the millions that couldn't get through. All right, guys, we're at the uh, we're at the end of the show. Let's quickly run through where we can find folks at uh, Rick Salmon. Where where are you located at online? RickSalmon.com. It's easy. It's as easy as that. <laughs> awesome. Very good. Strong brand. Strong brand. All right, and uh, Ray, where are you at online? Oh, you can find me on Twit.tv uh, live on Thursday afternoons at three thirty, and you can download uh, Maxwell's House, which is an aviation show, uh, on uh, the iTunes. All right. Very good. And Alex Lindsay? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters. On the Twitters. Alex Lindsay, all one word. Alex Lindsay. And if you're looking for me, you can find me, Frederick Van, um, on my blog at frederickvan.com or on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van. And if you want to follow the show, be sure to head over to twiplog.com. That's the official web home of the show. Or you can friend us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash this week in photography. And also if you are, if you're into photography and you do that sort of thing, uh, join our Flickr group and, and put some images in there. We'd love to see what you got. All right. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photography is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamankar. 
Content contributor is Eric Horton. 